This week, we've got five great stories for you. First, we've got an investor state case between Japan and Spain. Then, a Chinese and Brazilian company disputing a clause interpretation in Brazil. After that, a US and Saudi company duking it out in English court. And from there, a Canadian mining company tangled up with a Chilean company. And finally, breaking news out of the Indian legal community about foreign practice in the country. But before we jump into it, I'm Chris Campbell, and you're listening to Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal. If you're enjoying the show, please consider taking a brief moment and leaving a five-star review. It helps others find the show. Okay, let's jump into the news. For the, week. for the first story this week, let's talk about a recent case that has implications for international investment disputes. Japanese renewable energy investor Eurus Energy Holdings has been awarded over 120 million euros in damages from the Spanish government over regulatory reforms that were allegedly in violation of the Energy Charter Treaty, ECT, that we've talked about a few times on this show. Eurus had invested in wind and solar projects in Spain, but the regulatory reforms reduced the subsidies available for renewable energy production, causing significant financial losses for the investor. The Spanish government argued that the reforms were necessary due to economic crises in the country, but the arbitral tribunal found that Spain had not provided Eurus with adequate notice of reforms, nor had they consulted with the investor on their impact or offered any compensation for those losses suffered. As a result, the tribunal found in favor of Eurus, awarding them damages. This is significant for a few reasons. Firstly, it highlights the growing trends in investors in renewable energy projects turning to international arbitration to protect their interests. And secondly, it underscores the importance of transparency and consultation in regulatory reforms affecting foreign investors. Finally, it demonstrates the potential costs of governments of breaching international investment treaties. It's important for governments to understand the consequences of breaching international investment treaties, as this could have a detrimental impact on the country's reputation and future investment. Transparency and consultation with investors is key in any regulatory reforms, and governments should take steps to ensure that they are providing adequate notice and compensation to investors affected by such change. Then let's talk about a recent case that highlights the importance of careful drafting of arbitration clauses in international contracts. Go figure. The case in question involves a dispute between a Brazilian mining company, Vale SA, and a Chinese engineering company, and a Chinese engineering company, China National Machinery Import and Export Corporation, or CMC for short. The two companies had entered into a contract for the construction of a mining facility in Brazil, which included an arbitration clause requiring any disputes to be resolved through the ICC in Paris, France. However, when a dispute arose over the quality of the equipment provided by CMC, Vale sought to bring the arbitration proceedings in Brazil rather than in Paris, arguing that the arbitration clause was invalid due to the fact that it was a breach of Brazilian law. The arbitral tribunal sided with Vale, finding that the arbitration clause was indeed invalid as it was a breach of Brazilian law. The tribunal found that the clauses were not sufficiently clear and specific and did not comply with Brazilian legal requirements for arbitration clauses in international contracts. This case serves as an important reminder and guidepost of the need for careful drafting and consideration not just of international legal principles, but domestic and legal principles as well. Parties should ensure that their clause is clear, specific, and complies with the local laws of the jurisdictions in which they operate. A failure to do so can result in a costly and time-consuming dispute over the validity of the clause, potentially delaying the resolution of any disputes. 
In conclusion, while arbitration can be a useful tool for resolving international disputes, parties must be diligent in ensuring that their arbitration clauses are carefully drafted and compliant with relevant law. From there, let's head to the United States and take a look at a recent case that highlights the importance of maintaining confidentiality in arbitration proceedings. This case involves a dispute between two companies, one based in the United States and the other based in Saudi Arabia, over a contract for the sale of cement. The contract included an arbitration clause requiring any disputes to be resolved through arbitration in London, with the proceedings to be confidential. However, during the arbitration proceedings, the Saudi company allegedly disclosed confidential information to a third party, leading the U.S. company to seek an injunction to prevent further disclosures and to seek damages for harm caused by the disclosure. The High Court of London sided with the U.S. company, finding that the Saudi company had breached the confidentiality agreement by disclosing confidential information to a third party. The court granted an injunction to prevent any further disclosures and ordered the Saudi company to pay damages to the U.S. company for any harm caused by the breach. This case highlights the importance of maintaining confidentiality in arbitration proceedings, confidentiality being a key aspect of arbitration, allowing parties to resolve disputes without the risk of damaging their reputation or disclosing sensitive information to competitors. Breaching of confidentiality can have serious consequences, including injunctions and damages awards. In conclusion, parties to arbitration proceedings should take steps to ensure that they maintain confidentiality at all times and should be aware of the potential consequences of breaches of confidentiality. Then for our fourth story, we've got a case that focuses on the importance of conflicts of interest. Let's take a look. The case in question involves a dispute between a Canadian mining company and a Chilean state-owned company over a mining project in Chile. The dispute was subject to an arbitration in Santiago, Chile, and the Canadian company appointed a well-known arbitrator with extensive experience in mining disputes as its nominee. However, the Chilean company raised objections to the appointment of the arbitrator, arguing that he had close ties to the Canadian company and that this impartiality could be called into question. The Chilean company also pointed to the fact that the arbitrator had previously acted as counsel for the Canadian company in a separate dispute, further raising concerns about his independence and impartiality. The arbitral tribunal ultimately sided with the Chilean company, finding that the arbitrator's previous relationship with the Canadian company created a conflict of interest that could cast doubt on his impartiality. The tribunal ordered the Canadian company to appoint a new arbitrator in his place. The major takeaway from this case is the importance of ensuring that arbitrators are impartial and free from conflicts of interest an obvious point in most arbitral agreements. Parties to arbitration proceedings must take care to appoint arbitrators who have no ties to the parties, or at least have disclosed the same in the dispute, and who can be trusted to make impartial and independent decisions. In conclusion, while arbitration can be a useful tool for resolving disputes, parties must be diligent in ensuring the validity and legitimacy of their arbitrators before the tribunal is constituted. All right, and finally, this seems to be a trend now almost every week. We have some breaking news out of India. All right, for our fifth story, it's like we've had the last couple of weeks. It's a breaking news story, this time out of India. So as I get ready to tell you this story, let me tell you another story to help you visualize it. You know how you might have that one friend who says, I'm not going to the party unless I can bring my other friend. Well, that's kind of what's been happening here in India's legal world. International law firms have been wanting to set up shop in India, but they've been saying, well, we're not coming unless we can bring our foreign lawyers with us. 
But then India's like, nah, man, this is our house and we play by our rules. But finally, after years of debate and legal battles, the Bar Council of India has given the green light for international law firms to open up local offices in the country. So now these firms can set up shop, but they'll have to follow some specific rules. First, they can only hire Indian lawyers to practice Indian law, but they can still advise on international law. Second, they can't form partnerships with Indian law firms, which some are saying could create some tension or some allegations of protectionism. But overall, this is a big deal for India. The hope is that these international firms will bring some foreign investment and help the country's economy grow. Plus, it's always good to have more legal expertise in the mix, right? And let's be real, who doesn't love a good international collaboration? It's like Bollywood meets Hollywood, but with lawyers. Of course, there are still some skeptics out there who worry that this move could lead to a dominance of foreign firms and push out smaller Indian firms. But for now, let's focus on the positive and hope that this is a step forward for India's legal system and the economy. And who knows, maybe this move will lead to more Indian lawyers making moves in the international legal scene too. It's about time we had some more diversity in the legal world, am I right? All right, well, one more thing before we get out of here for this week. In just under a couple of weeks, Columbia University is hosting its annual Columbia Arbitration Day, with this year's theme being Arbitration Beyond the Box, New Innovations and Perspectives. It's a huge event with primary sponsors and nearly two dozen supporting organizations, including this show. So if you are in the greater New York area, or if you will be, grab your ticket and now because space is limited. And that's right, it's April 14th. That's just a month away. It's Columbia Arbitration Day. Right, and look, I know I said this was the final story, but there's one more thing to mention. We also have a fantastic event hosted by the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, North America branch, along with Pepperdine Law School, and it is California Arbitration, a day in the life of an arbitration practitioner. Now, some of you may have heard of the ABA, American Bar Association's fantastic law school outreach program. This is another step in that vein. It's hosted by a couple of different organizations, and it's going to take place on March 20th, 2023, from 1240 p.m. to 130 p.m. That's California time. The registration forms are available and you can sign up right now. So we'll include a link to the show notes. They're going to have speakers such as Donald V. Smiley, who is a founding member of the Chartered Institute, commercial entertainment arbitrator with the AAA and ICDR, well-known entertainment lawyer. And we've got Giorgio Sassin, who's a co-chair of the Young Chartered Institute of Arbitrators. He's an associate in international arbitration at Music Peter and Garrett. And then and finally, rounding out that panel, you have Tiana Olokeva, who is a co-chair of the Young Chartered Institute of Arbitrators and the general counsel at Quandry Peak Research. And she's going to be giving some perspective as well. So sign up. That's, again, a day in the life of the international arbitration practitioner. All right, that's it for Disputes Digest. We hope you have enjoyed this week's episode and the stories that we brought to you. We hope you're enjoying this new format too. And as a reminder, Tales of the Tribunal is going on the road just a little bit. We'll be at Paris Arbitration Week at a couple of events. Hopefully we get to see a few of you have some on the road impromptu style interviews. And we'll be doing the same at London Disputes Week in a couple of months in May. And of course, it would not be this show without the Vismut somewhere in the background. And indeed, we're just two weeks away. And of course, we'll be in Vienna talking with a lot of people that are there on the ground with some students, some Moody's, arbitrators. Hopefully we catch up with Victoria Pern and the folks over at My Arbitration. And it's been a great buildup to this season. We're looking forward to being back in person. But without further ado, this has been Disputes Digest by Tales of the Tribunal.
None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.